Hi everyone, my name is Ashley Diaz. I'm a theater and radio, television, and film major at the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm with my roommate Erica. Hi guys, I'm Erica. I'm a journalism major, also at UT Austin, and I'm going to be telling her today about the perfect storm, also known as Charles Manson in the 1960s. Yeah, honestly, I I don't really know much about what happened. You know, I know Charles Manson got some kind of gang together and they went and killed people, but I don't really know all the ins and outs of the situation. So. I'm pretty excited to hear about it, and I'll definitely stop and ask questions if I have any. Yeah, perfect. So, while his acts were egregious, the counterculture itself and his charm created a facade that created a method for his madness. We'll dive into his crimes and how the culture aided him shortly, but let's get into it. From a very early age, it was clear that Manson would have to fend for himself. He was born November 12th, 1934. He's a Scorpio. <laughs> to a <laughs> that's, that's the first red flag. First red flag. Um, to a single runaway mother. She would often go missing and he would have to have fun for himself. He was extremely troubled. He was sent to boarding school after boarding school, then juvie after juvie. By 1957, at the age of 23, he had been in over 13 institutions for a multitude of charges. Upon, what kind of charges? Um, there was theft, um, like forging checks. So just like petty crimes? Petty crimes. There wasn't anything too bad, but while he was in jail, he got written up for bad behavior. Like he would rape his fellow inmates. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Not off to a good start. Um, by the age of 23, he had been in over 13 institutions. Upon his release, he somehow, get this, received an amazing letter for recommendation by the warden. Wait. Yeah. How did that happen? It's just his overall charm and his allure. Uh... And in the note, it was like mentioned how good looking he was. So, like, that's a really important part. Like, he was a seemingly good-looking, charming man. Then, shocker, after his release, he gets arrested again for pimping and forging a check from the Department of Treasury for around only $400 today. So he's in and out of prison until 1967, whenever he was released. And whenever he was released, he asked if he could stay because he had nowhere else to go. Manson was released and went to San Francisco in 1967. He crashed the Summer of Love. The Summer of Love was a cultural phenomenon where over 100,000 people met in the Hyatt-Ashbury district of San Francisco to celebrate hippie music, hallucinogenic drugs, and LSD, anti-war, and a free love scene. This was perfect because nobody cared who you were or where you came from. It was just about love. <laughs> <laughs> this was perfect because Manson fit in. He played music on the streets. He did the whole summer of 1967 things. He made lots of friends, as aforementioned. He was known to have a lot of charisma. Amidst this, he met his soon-to-be followers. He started picking up women. They all say they made him feel so loved and his presence was fulfilling. So it might be the fact that he was so charming or the combination of his charms and LSD, but these women would soon start making up his family. That's pretty interesting though, because I mean, you said he kind of like fit in, but he also came from a background of like violence yeah. and like crime. So to fit into like kind of the free love kind of like communal scene is kind of, I don't know. It's interesting. Kind it's kind of like the opposite, right? Yeah, that he kind of like put on this character to like fit in. And yeah, and that's the other thing. It was just really perfect because at this point in time, nobody was asking any questions. A lot of people even went by aliases. So nobody was caring about where you were, your criminal background. Nobody cared to meet your family or anything like that. So he could just make up a lie and go along with it. But Tex Watson joined. And a big way that Manson would get women to join his family, like people for tags, is that he would use his women that he had allured and then exchange them for sex. So he had selected some of the prettiest women in his crew, say Sally Sue and Joan. And he would use Sally Sue and Joan to go get the men and have sex with them. And then the men would be allured by the two women and then continue staying because with this promise of free sex and drugs. Yeah. 
it was crazy because he just charmed his way through. Um, I think it's important to reiterate that it, if this had happened several years prior, it would have never worked out. However, it was a summer of love and passion and everything under the sun. He gained their trust by being the cookie cutter type of the era, played music. Oh, he was really good at guitar. We'll get into that later. Um, gave him drugs, made love. It was said that the counterculture of the summer of love was an open gate to women being taken advantage of and used. Then Charles and his family left San Francisco in a bus. His family, like... The groups of women and right. the random men who right. recruited along. His the rag- family, quote-unquote. Yeah, the ragtag bunch. <laughs> um, so they took a road trip and were driving up and down the coast where they eventually settled down in Los Angeles, California. Mind you, Charles had been playing music. At this point, he wants to be a star. He wants to make a name for himself. In Hollywood, Manson began to work his industry music connections to meet more people to mingle. He was soon making inroads with music producers and actors, including character actor Al Lewis, who remembered Manson as a, quote, nice guy, end quote, and had Manson babysit his kids on several occasions. Ugh, that's so creepy. I know. Like, I after know. the fact? Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Al Lewis was a pretty famous actor and had appeared in The Munsters and Car 54, Where Are You? Universal producer Gary Stromberg even granted Manson a recording session only to find Manson unprepared, unreliable, and even worse, untalented. So he basically, like, made all these connections with his charm, but then, like, didn't have anything to back it up. Exactly. So, like, his looks and his charm basically carried him through, but, like, when push came to shove... There like, was nothing to back it up. Everything fell through. Exactly. Wow. So now we're in March of 1968, and two of the lady family members are walking down Sunset Boulevard, trying to hitchhike back to their place of residence. And who would pick them up? Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like it's all just, like, coincidence. Like, everything yeah. had to fall together for all of this to happen. Exactly. It's just, like, a perfect storm. Right. So, this is after, like, the Beach Boys has released, like, their top hits, but it's still the Beach Boys. Everybody knows who they are. So, the women tell Dennis Wilson about Manson, and they hit it off. So, they're chatting, like, they get along super well. Wilson is a part of this family, so much so that he invites the entire Manson family to live at his house, at his private residence. So, they're making music together, and it seems like Manson is on the up and up. Wilson wants him to become a beach boy or join the music makers, but the other beach boys warn him. They're adamant that he's not good for Wilson. Wilson's manager eventually kicks him out of the house because it's clear that this situation is hazardous. So they're evicted in August of 1968. They then end up at Spawn Movie Ranch, which is where famous Western movies are filmed. Like, what are the odds? And once again, Manson traded sexual favors of his female followers to the ranch zoner for room and board. I mean, I'm sure all these people thought he was a red flag because of also all the drugs he was doing. But, I mean, he must have had something in his personality that set these people off. Exactly. Like, he was just so charming. And then, like, that in tandem with the drugs, like, the LSD and the marijuana just, like, all worked together. But then, like, people who had a clear head, like the rest of the Beach Boys, for example, like, they must have seen something in him to be so alarmed. Oh, everybody who was sober knew that there was something wrong. I'll get into that even more. Still, however, Dennis Wilson tried to promote Manson and convinced the Beach Boys to record one of his songs. Wilson went on to introduce Manson to a music producer named 
Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher would often have Manson over to his house, but never actually agreed to sign him. According to Manson, the trio would collaborate, and Manson alleges that he wrote several songs on the Beach Boys discography. However, they were changed, and he didn't receive credit, which is weird. Imagine listening to a Beach Boys song. Yeah. Charles Wouldn't it be nice? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Imagine. Ugh. These two things together made the relationship between three men go awry really fast. Doris Day famous actress and singer, I'm sure you've heard of her, she recorded over 650 songs and had the Dorsey show, was also Terry Melcher's mother. Okay. And she had heard all of this and was so alarmed by Charles Manson that she urged her son to move out of his house because Charles Manson had been there before. Yeah, he knew where he lived. Yeah, knew where he lived and knew about his whereabouts and she urged him to cut all ties. And once again, everyone who was sober that Charles Manson was not a good dude. Although Terry had moved out of the house, it was Manson's fixation and it represented his failure. The address was 150 Cielo Drive. That's important. Remember that. Okay. In May of 1967, Manson had shot a drug dealer named Bernard, also known as Lotsa Papa, and quote, Crow, who was a possible member of the Black Panther Party after a dispute over a drug payment. Two months later, Manson had urged several of his followers to steal money from a friend of his named Gary Heinemann. This just went horribly. After two days of holding Heinemann hostage, one of Manson's followers named Barbie Bosolo killed Heinemann. At the scene, the Manson family attempted to blame it all on the Black Panther Party and wrote Political Piggy and drew the Black Panther paw print on the wall with his blood. So they've killed two people at this point. Yeah, they've killed two people at this point. So at the time of everything... Manson was really good about keeping his entire family in the dark about their current political climate. He would literally just give them LSD or marijuana, tell them to go have sex with each other, and then catch up on the news and, like, the current political climate. He was the one who was receiving the information and then feeding it back to his family, like the assassination of MLK, the protests in Vietnam. Charles knew all of this, but his followers knew nothing except what he had told them. He believed that there was a race war impending that he named Helter Skelter inspired by the Beatles' White Album. First of all, that song is about an amusement park, and I suppose it was lost in translation, but he had been telling his family that if Black Americans didn't start the race war, also known as Helter Skelter, then his family should assist in the fruition. So wait, were they, they were trying to fight on behalf of Black Americans, or? No, they were, so Manson wanted them. This is the theory of Helter Skelter. He wanted the Black Panther Party to, like, come to war with white Americans. Black Panther Party to be, like, wiped out, basically everybody to be wiped out, except for his family who would rise and take over everything. Oh. So he was, like, kind of on the white side, basically? Yeah. He spoke in, like, later interviews saying that he thinks Black people and, like, Black Americans are really, really smart, but they're just built differently than us. Hmm. Yeah. Not a good dude. So shortly after, Bobby, the one who actually killed him, is arrested for the crime of Gary Heinemann. Two days after the arrest, Manson whips up a plan. He orders Tex Watson, his right-hand man, to go to Terry Melcher's old house, 150 Cielo Drive, and, quote, totally destroy, end quote, the inhabitants of the house. The goal was to make it similar to the murder of Heinemann, so they would tie those two crimes together and release Bosolil, 
and also to incite the race war of Helter Skelter. So they were trying to blame it on the Black Panthers again. Yeah. So basically they were hoping that they would tie this crime as well as the first crime together and then realize that they had arrested a man who couldn't have done both crimes and then set him free. Okay. While simultaneously blaming it on the Black Panther Party. So on August 9th, 1969, Tex Watson goes with his followers, Patricia Krenwinkel, Susan Atkins, Linda Cassavian, to the house on Cielo Drive, where all of them murder actress Sharon Tate, writer Wiziok Fryowski, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, as in Folger Coffee, and celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring. So these were all just people that were basically renting out... Terry's house. Yes. Okay. And then also who was there is Stephen Parent, who was just a friend of the family's gardener. They were all brutally murdered, and then they wrote pig in the blood of Sharon Tate on the front door to furthermore allude to the prior murders. So basically they're hoping that the police just tie all these together and then realize that there's one person in jail right now who couldn't have done all of them. So many believe that this was some sort of satanic ritual, which was fair, because wouldn't you know it, in 1966... The official satanic church was formed by Anton LaVey, who would soon be known as the Black Pope. The church's early recruiting efforts included the short-lived, ready for this, Topless Witches Review nightclub show featuring Susan Atkins, who was a member of the Manson family and also an accomplice to the Tate murders. Okay. Wait. Reel it back. Yeah. So she was connected to the satanic church. Yeah, she had a stint where she worked with the satanic church before she joined the Manson family and, and murdered, committed the murders. Yeah, and committed the Tate murders. Okay. So the next night, this gets a lot of media attention. Hollywood is scared, and this gathers so much attention that Manson just wants to keep it going. So the next night, August 10th, Manson sends the same group, plus two more members, Leslie Van Houten and Clem Gorgon, to another residence, the residence of Leno and Rosemary LaBlanca. The reason why he chose them is because at one point Manson and his family were living next door and then the neighbors of that residence, aka the LaBlancas, called the police and made them leave. So one thing about Manson is he's going to hold a grudge. Once again, the family wrote on the wall, in blood, death to pigs, rise, and helter skelter. Mind you, Helter Skelter was misspelled. In September 1969, 26 members of the family were arrested on suspicion of auto theft. There was some bad paperwork and they all got released, but because of this, Charles Manson thought the ranch hand at Spun Ranch, Donald Shea, had tipped off the police and had pointed them in the direction of the Manson family. And then, Donald Shea was never seen again. Ooh. Yeah. But this is also crazy because, you know, from what... From the mythics of it all in today's age, it just seems like it was like a satanic cult. But it really did have some motive. Like, they were trying to get someone out of jail and, you know, trying to start a race war and all this kind of stuff. But from what I always heard, you know, the writing in Blood on the Wall was always just seen as some weird Satan cult energy. Yeah. It was never... It didn't have motive. It didn't have intention. It was just a bunch of people on drugs acting really freaky. Yeah, so, like, to a certain extent, that's true. I'm sure it was true for, his like, his followers, but Manson all along had a plan. Whenever he was a kid, he was in and out of institutions and juvies because he kept on finding ways to escape. Right. And from this, he just created this entire family who just ate out of his hand, and he could convince them of anything because of all the LSD and the drugs that they were on and just the perfect storm 
of the culture of the 1960s and the counterculture that was created by the hippie movement. Right. Then the Manson family moves ranches for a whole new fresh start. You know, Donald Shea's out of the picture. They're just ready for a new beginning. They relocate to Barker Ranch in Death Valley. Then, on October 12th, 1969, officers raided their new place on suspicion of auto theft. This time, 24 members were arrested. While in jail, Satanist showgirl and Tate murderer Susan Atkins is trying to brag to her cellmates about everything. The cellmate obviously uses this to get a lesser sentence, and it falls apart for the Manson family. December 1969, Manson, Watson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten were all charged for the Tate-LaBianca murders. All this in combination created what we know and is now known as the famous Manson family murders. What I think is the most interesting thing about it all, though, is the fact that it was a perfect storm. I keep on saying that, but it's just the right words to describe it. His charm, the use of sex and drugs, the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and the race war, the war on Vietnam, the, the make love, not war movement. All of these things together just created the perfect creature and the perfect climate for these crimes. It's also so interesting to me, you know, obviously crime as we know it, you know, if you commit a murder or if you commit a string of murders, it's pretty likely that someone, a camera is going to see you or something like that. But the fact that all of these people got in and out of multiple homes and killed that many people and the famous only, people. Yeah. And the only thing that really tipped them off is Susan and her like loose lappy lips. lips. Yeah. Susan and her loose lips. Like that is crazy to me that, you know, they, they did all this stuff. And also the fact that you know, all of those people, all of Manson's family that actually committed the murders really needed little to no motivation. Exactly. They just, you know, went ahead and did it. Obviously, Charles had his own things going on and things that he wanted to accomplish, but the race weren't getting someone out of jail. But all of the people that actually did the dirty work, all that they needed was a command. Exactly, because that was a rough part about this trial is because Manson was never at the scene of these crimes. Right. He wasn't at one place. Like whenever the tapes were murdered, like, he was just never there. So they had to really use, like, Helter Skelter and his motive to show that he was manipulating every single one of these people into committing murder by using drugs and sex and everything under the sun and using this momentum of the hippie movement and the summer of love to create the string of murders. So interesting also and countering the summer of love with murder. Yeah, well, I find it ironic because in the summer of 1967, the movie Bonnie and Clyde was released, which was a smash hit, but it was also the goriest thing that had hit cinemas. And so it's ironic because it also epitomizes, like, this entire situation. While Summer of Love was going on, Bonnie and Clyde hit the thing, which was so gory. And then out comes Manson, who was essentially bonnieing and cliding it up with his little family. Right. It's crazy. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast called The Perfect Storm. I'm Ashley Diaz. And I'm Erica Sykes. And we hope that you enjoyed.